Welcome to The Rock's podcast for our midweek study through Galatians. False teachers were throwing believers into confusion by perverting the gospel. They taught that salvation depended on our own good works. So the Apostle Paul must remind them that salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone, and to stand firm in their freedom. Now let's join Pastor Ross in our verse-by-verse study through this most liberating letter. It's time to pick up our study Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Galatians, we are at chapter 5. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Father God, we thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ, and it's all because of what Jesus, the Son of God, did for us on our behalf on that cross. Lord, you said that we should know the truth, and that truth would make us free. Lord, we pray tonight for those who are bound by fear or guilt, or shame, by the power of sin, or even by the power of the evil one. We pray that because we're here and in the presence of your Holy Spirit and your powerful word, that we would be set free afresh and anew. In Christ's name, amen. Well, like many today, the Galatians were falling for another gospel, a false gospel, which was no gospel at all, hook, line, and sinker. False teachers had come to town and were luring them away from a salvation that is free by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone. And you should be getting used to that little uh, saying of mine there. And so... In their case, the false gospel was a a works-based religion, as we've been seeing. I guess you could call what the false teachers were pushing as a pseudo-Christian cult, because it retained the same language as Christianity and the gospel, uh, but the meaning of the words Jesus, heaven, uh, faith, salvation were all different. It's quite the same as uh, the same concept as uh, Mormonism and Jehovah's uh, Witness theology. In 1830, Joseph Smith came along to restore what he said the Christian church uh, had fallen away uh, from the truth, and he came to restore it, and he added to the Bible the Book of Mormon. And so if you add to something and change it, it's no longer what it once was. And so, uh, so too, in 1870, Charles uh, Taze Russell started the Jehovah's Witness movement by calling it a Bible study movement. You see, so the word Bible and some of the verses were, most of the verses were the same, but he just came at it, spinning it with a different theology so that when you say Jesus, Lord and Savior, and faith and heaven and hell to a Jehovah's Witness, you mean something totally different because you have the gospel that Paul preached. Paul said, If anybody, one of our own guys, if I came back to you, if an angel from heaven appeared to you with a different gospel, do not receive it, but let that person be eternally condemned. Now, that's from the Holy Spirit because there's only one gospel. 
And we're, we're saved by the gospel. And if you change what saves us, then that thing can't save us. And so that's why there's so much on the line and so much going on there. So uh, there's Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons weren't the first to kind of change the gospel. Certainly it started two millennia ago. Uh, Satan was busy with his pseudo-Christian cult, which I'm going to call Hebrew Roots, uh, because these false teachers came to town from Jerusalem. They were Hebrews uh, who professed Christ, and as you've been seeing from week to week, uh, they were keeping kosher, they were advocating uh, circumcision was the way to become an official Israeli, an official Jew, and they said, unless a male is circumcised, he cannot be saved. Acts chapter 15 and verse 1, you will find that that was their motto. And so their thing was Christianity plus Judaism, Jesus' death plus Moses' laws, uh, grace plus works equals salvation. They were saying we need to have the best of both worlds. Now, does that sound unappealing to you? Well, think again, because if we can contemporize it, I'm going to show you a series of slides to help you to see that what they were pushing to become a true Jew, part of the chosen people, we're Hebrews, and they had the shawls, and they had, uh, let's just contemporize it, they had the flag, and they had the t-shirts, and they had the yarmulkes, and they said, don't you want to be a part of the crowd, the chosen people? You can be. And then we're going to start with circumcision, and we're going to keep a kosher table. We can go on one by one here. And so, you know, don't you want to have a bar mitzvah at the Western Wall? Come on, they're holding the Torah. There's a scroll in there of the Old Testament with the prayer shawls and the strings. And don't you want a phylactery? They're in the uh, temple grounds before the uh, Western Wall. There are Jews there that will uh, help you if you are Jewish to, and you're a tourist, to get the phylacteries and, and for a fee, a donation. Uh, they will let you, if you are a Jew, uh, put on the phylactery and, and have a little prayer in Hebrew, if uh, I guess he knows how to read Hebrew. Uh, and if you don't have a skull cap, a yarmulke, uh, then that's a yarmulke, then they'll put a paper one over your head so that you can show the proper respect. But don't you want to become one of us? It's so easy, uh, you know, to worship there with all of that history and uh, was so appealing. And then who wouldn't want Shabbat, Friday night service with the traditions and all the prayers and, and you'll learn how to blow the shofar, the feast, the holy days, the feast of trumpets and, and Hanukkah with the jelly donuts. You know, why the jelly donuts? Because anything with oil in it to remind them of the, the miracle of the oil that lasted in the temple. And so fried foods and all of that. And so we go on to the feast of booths, which is uh, to commemorate the time that they, God provided for them in the wilderness. And it's like a modern day Thanksgiving. And uh, don't you want to be a part of that? You you guys were Gentiles. You've come to Christ. Now let's do it right. Let's hook in. Let's become part of the cool kids on the playground. Sorry, I added that. <laughs> no, let's go back to that Passover plate, okay? So the Passover plate, you know, is part of the whole deal looking forward to Christ. And that is a lamb shank bone in the middle, 
right? And to uh, commemorate the lamb uh, that was sacrificed in the Passover, the first one, to get them out of Egypt, right? And so what Paul is going to say is, is that the only bone, the only shank, the only lamb that ever matters to these Gentiles is not going back to Passover that was pointing forward to a savior, but to the lamb of God. That's the bone of the lamb, the shank, the arm of the lamb of God who was fully 100% human, but 100% of Jewish ancestry and 100% God because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And to receive him by faith, he's telling these Gentiles, is to receive and to wed yourself to the Jewish Messiah who is through his human ancestry related back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So for all intents and purposes, spiritually speaking, a Gentile who is wedded to the Jewish Christ, who is, by uh, all intents and purposes, a, a child of Abraham, makes you a descendant of Abraham um, as well. And so your connection to Christ is all the Jewishness you will ever need. So what, did, what about the, all that joy and all that goodness in Judaism? Nothing wrong with it as it pointed ahead to the Messiah. Jesus said, listen, Judaism is like an old stretched out wineskin. I've come as a product. I am the um, fulfillment of all things Jewish. All things Judaism have their fulfillment in me. And Judaism now has become like a ragged old shirt. You cannot patch it up. You cannot put a Christian patch on Judaism because it birthed me. And everything in Judaism was screaming Passover, Lamb of God, even every single one of the holidays, even the Shabbat, even the temple, even David, even Solomon, they're all screaming Jesus. And he was standing there saying, Judaism has produced and done its work. It's obsolete now. And the new wine get poured into an old stretched out wineskin. You're going to have a big, ugly mess. And the heretics from Jerusalem who came to those Gentile um, Galatians who had already received the gospel and now wanted to pour the, the new wine of the Holy Spirit into the old stretched out wineskins of yesteryear. We're going to have a big mess. Now you're up to speed and know why these Galatians were all googly-eyed. They wanted to become Jews really bad. And he said, listen, it may look like a lot of fun and it may stroke your ego to feel like you're better than other people. But you, it's actually a, a step backwards. So let's take a look at Galatians 5, 1 through 6. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, guys. And don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery by going back to being under the law. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, which is Judaism 1A, 
That's the starting point before the flags, before the donuts, before the uh, sabbat, everything. Number one, you're going to have to do that if you're a guy. Mark my words, guys. If you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. You will not have a savior. Your savior will be your works. Verse three. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law, so get busy. Verse 4. You who are trying to be acquitted, declared righteous by being good, by keeping the 613 laws, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the spirit of righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value at all. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So we're going to pause there. Note takers, number one, falling from grace. What a terrible phrase to even think about. Falling from grace. And so, you know, he's kind of summing up his four-chapter uh, diatribe, if you will, against these false teachers and going back to be under the law when we've already been joined to Christ. He's saying, you know, are you going to keep, you want to have the engagement party when you're already married? You're married, and then you want to say, hey, everybody, I want to throw an engagement party. People are going to look at you like you're out of your mind. If the baby's been born, and you already had the baby shower, and the baby's born, and the baby's 30, are you going to say, hey, let's have a baby shower? Because that's what it is. Because Judaism is the baby shower. Judaism is the engagement ring. It's the engagement uh, party and when Christ appears, the baby's born, the wedding has taken place. It, it's going to be celebrated in the future, but for all intents and purposes, the spirit of our spirit has been joined to our bridegroom. And so he's saying it's just crazy to go backwards. And so, step one before you can wave a flag and join. Uh, any of the holidays, you would have to be circumcised. So there are probably people here who haven't heard my little uh, teaching on why circumcision was so important to the Jews. So you'll need a one minute recap. Verse two for sure says, listen, it, God, <laughs> Christ has set us free. Don't let yourself be enslaved again by a yoke of slavery. And so in Genesis, let me explain circumcision one more time. Genesis 15, Abraham believes God and gets saved. God gives him a promise. He believes God, even though it's impossible. And God says, you're saved by grace. Done. Genesis 17, he says, now I want you to do an outward sign of an inward reality. You've been saved by grace. Now I want every male of yours who ever hopes to be <laughs> right with me to have an outward sign called circumcision. That is to say that since you guys couldn't have kids, there's no way to bring new life unless I myself intervene. If I do not help you and you're only born once and you die, you will perish. 
You will need to be born the natural way, and then you will need to be born in this life the supernatural way, hence the mark placed accordingly with the reproduction. God had to come in and say, oh, no, if you just think, well, I can be born and live a good life and I'll go to heaven wrong. So he puts the mark there to say, unless you're born again. Now, the sign now, once Christ has appeared and the Holy Spirit's in our hearts, is not circumcision, it's baptism that says the same thing. I was dead. I couldn't raise myself up. I, I was dead, and the Spirit of God raised me to new life. That's the same thing that circumcision is saying, is this that we were still born at birth because of our sin. There was no life. There was no spirit connected to God. And God had to intervene and make us born again. And if God doesn't do that, then you die twice. You die once physically, and the second time is called the second death. And that is called perishing forever. And so, uh, so their mantra was, you must be um, circumcised in order to be saved. And so that to be a card-carrying Hebrew and to be a son of Abraham and the chosen people, that's what you had to do. In verse 1, he says, resist gentlemen for the love of God. Don't let them do that to you. For the sake of freedom, Christ sets us free. So... I love the New English Bible version that says Christ sets us free to be free men. Kind of a double emphasis. The whole point of God's effort of sending his son was to liberate us, to make us free, as your verse 1 says there. Uh, free from the power of sin, Romans 6 and verse 12. Free from the tyranny and fear of death, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. Free from Satan's control, 1 John and 3, 8. But the specific freedom that Paul is talking about to these Galatians is free uh, in our consciences from the nagging, gnawing guilt of sin. You see, because when you're under the law, you're constantly remembering that you're falling short. And Christ died to free us from do this or die. <laughs> That's the law. And from this horrendous struggle to be good enough 24-7, seven days a week with that gnawing feeling of always falling short. So he says there in your text, do not let yourselves be burdened again. He says it's for freedom unrestricted access to God, the veil that separated sinful human beings from a holy God that was, it was about 90 feet high in the temple. And it was about as thick as a man's hand. And it was 60 feet wide. And it took 200 priests to manipulate that temple veil. So don't be thinking some chiffon thing in there. It was a big deal. And it was torn from when Jesus breathed his last and he said it is finished, that veil torn from top to bottom signifying who was doing the tearing. And what did that signify? It said, come on in. Come on in. You're free. It's free. So what did he set us free for? Free access into the very throne room of who? Abba, Father. No Jew in the Old Testament could call God their Abba, Father, and so he says it is for freedom 
that Christ has set us free, that we can go into the throne room of God with confidence, not with fear, because all of our sins are wiped out. His blood has, has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. So, so he says, attention, all wannabe Jewish men, we want you to associate circumcision with a yoke of slavery because if you go back under the law and you become an official Jew, as we've talked about before, you're going to have to do all the commands. You can't just, just pick the ones you want. You, you, you know, you're going, we're going to dance the, the Hava Nagila, whatever. Uh, you know, we're going to have fun on Friday night and do this Shabbat. No, there's 611 others. He says, don't you know that in your verse? He says, you're going to have to do the whole thing. And the purpose of the law, of course, was to get you to cry out, wretched person that I am, who will save me from this body of death? My tongue is set on fires from hell. My heart is deceitful above all things. Who will save me? That's what the law's job was. And now you guys want to go under the law after having been set free? He says, stand your ground and just say, no, Christ set us free to be free men. And he continues on. And he's with the bad news because he has to kind of correct them from their uh, deceptive allurement to a false way, a false gospel. So he says, mark my words there in your text. That means, hey, listen up. It means underline what I'm about to say. You can take this to the bank. That's what he's saying there, mark my words. He says, if you're counting on Jewish rites and rituals to save you, then Jesus, your Lord, who set you free, will be of zero value to you. Now, that ought to be a slap to them, to, to tell them Jesus, your Savior, is a big zero to you. If you're trusting in something else, you can't have it both ways. That's the point of this paragraph. You can't have it both ways. The first thing he says there is, so make sure you're, you know you're obligated to keep them all. There's 360, thou shalt not, 365. And commentators say, that's kind of funny because God has given them one thou shalt not for every day of the year. And every day of the year, you can be reminded that you have broken God's commandments. <laughs> 248 positive ones. So, uh, Mr. Wannabe Jew, get ready and get busy and get holy because if you fail one time, you're a lawbreaker. And all lawbreakers will be punished. So he's trying to speak some, you know, he just says, look, Christ will have no value to you. Verse 4, you can't have it both ways. He's saying, uh, listen, grace and law, it's like oil and water. It's like cats and dogs. It's like Fox News and MSNBC. I found that a lot funnier than you did. Okay, cling to your Jewish law or be severed, that word, verse 4, alienated from Christ, severed. How would you like to be severed from the Son of God? Because you're clinging to something else. It makes perfect sense. I don't need the cross. I don't need Jesus. I've got me and my good works. He says, trust in your own goodness or reject his Earn your way, 
and fall away from grace. Verse 4, that's what it is. Which, which is it? I can save myself or I can't save myself. You're going to have to come to that. And if, if you can't save yourself, then you're saved by total grace. And it doesn't change when you're having a good day or a bad day. You're just saved by grace, period. Uh, so he goes on and he says in verse 5, but we, now he's saying to those who haven't left grace yet, but we, Bible-believing, born-again Christians, look at your verse 5, we're waiting for the day of righteousness there, that righteousness to be revealed is God to complete what he started in us. So we're not working and we're not under the law, and we're not trying to keep the Sabbath and eat kosher. Look at your text in verse 5. We're waiting for God to do what we can't do ourselves. And so we're waiting for that blessed hope, heaven, the, our eternal bodies, our eternal reward, that by, look, notice verse 5. Are you looking at verse 5? It says we get that by faith through the Holy Spirit. Do you see that in verse 5? Not by being good little Jewish boys and girls to the Galatians. And then in verse 6, he says, when you're in Christ, a mark on your body means nothing. It's faith in one's heart and a life of love that comes from that faith in your heart that counts. And no, this is nothing to do with whether you are or whether you're not, it's a mark on the body. It means nothing in Christ. So he says, now let's go back to the source of all of this heresy, verses 7 through 12. Let's check that out. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Now, I'm confident in the Lord that you'll take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. <laughs> This is uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse by verse. Here we go. You can ask Siri what that word means, but moving on. Okay, so first we have number one was falling from grace, and number two will be running a race. Okay, so we're going to do a little rhyme thing tonight, running a race. So now, here's a timeless question, a timeless verse that's applicable from the dawn of time, some 6,000 years of human history. We could be asking this from, gener from Genesis, I should say, to Revelation. God starts a work, and then something goes sideways, and then the question is, what happened? What happened? Whose fault is this? I don't think it's God's fault. Hmm. Who cut in? What happened? And so we're going to talk about that. It's a question we can ask today. He's saying, you started good. 
You renounced your sins. You became new creations. Suddenly, you were living righteous lives, and everybody was like, what? Are you the guy who used to uh, beg at the gate? Are you, are, are you the guy who was out of his mind, screaming in the, in the cemeteries? Are you the former atheist? Are you the, uh, the former town bad girl? And now you're preaching about Jesus? What happened to you? That's what he's saying. You, were, you started off fast and furious. The starter's pistol went off. Boom, you heard the gospel. You got saved. You got filled with the Holy Spirit. You were even speaking in tongues, some of them. What went wrong? Why are you wavering? What happened to you? Who happened to you? Not what. Do you notice that? It's always a who. It's always a who. We're going to talk about that. So you were running a good race. We can ask that today. You started out in love with one another. You had vows. You invited all your friends. You made some promises. They rang the bell and you kissed each other. You smushed the cake into each other's face. And then what happened? Now you hate each other. What happened? Who cut in on you? Who did you let cut in on you? You know, you started uh, Christian life pretty good. You were in church every Sunday. You were running a good race. You were reading your Bible. You were praying. You were saying no to your sins and your flesh. What happened? What happened here? I really like that he says who cut in, not what. Because it's always a who. I like this too. Is, and, and look at this. I hope you catch it. Um, he says, who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That's what Christianity is. Not just that you, know, you have sound doctrine and you've got it all together here and you know what the right words to say or the right things to believe. But actually... The definition of Christianity is someone who's practicing and obeying the truth, not just talking about it. So who stopped you from actually living the Christian life? And uh, one writer said, every misstep in the Christian life is first a departure from truth. Every time there's a prone to wander, it's a rejection or it's a, uh, it's a step away from truth. And so who's behind these lies he's saying? It's the father of lies and his spokespeople. He has them, you know. He has them at the bookstores. He has them on the blogs. He has them on Facebook. They have a million followers. But they preach a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. An amended gospel is a different gospel. So if you change the meaning of the inerrancy of God's word, that it's just now a story, or, and if you change the, the meaning of hell and the meaning of repentance and the meaning of the acceptance of Christ, of, of uh, a, a lifestyle that he rejects and says that he's okay with it, that's a different gospel. And so uh, who's behind those lies? There's two answers to that. The devil and the person who's given way to be used of the devil. And so 
Um, he says, I don't think this is coming from the one who called you. And so commentators say, look at how tender that is. You know, what's the problem here? Who cut in? Well, see, a man's own folly ruins his life, and yet his heart rages against the Lord. And so the, the reasoning here is who cut in on you? And then he says, I don't think this came from the one who called you, is because the human heart will always kind of find some way to trace it back to God or the church or the pastor. And sometimes it might be some of those people that go sideways. But for the most part here, for all intents and purposes, all things being equal, we like to blame others. He says, you guys, what went wrong? Who cut in? Well, the hipster Hebrew heretics or what, who, who cut in with their smooth talking, but it's always a person. It's always a person. It's the boyfriend. Is he a Christian? Well, it's always the same. Well, he's so open. I need to calm down right now. He's open? You know, here's the answer. Is he a Christian? No, he isn't. That's the answer, not he's open. He's open means no, he's not a Christian. All right, well, not yet. Oh, come on. It's through the boyfriend, it's through the girlfriend, it's through the coworker, it's through the celebrity, it's through the blogger, it's through this new, hip, cool new book. There's always who. And may God have mercy on the soul of the one who sticks their leg out in front of a Christian and trips them up. Jesus said it's unthinkable what awaits somebody who causes one of his little ones. And as it says in the scriptures here, they will pay the penalty for what they've done, whoever it is. And so Paul is assured of that. So the question here is, are you the real deal? Then stand your ground, just say no. And, and then he says in verse 9, and stay away from them. Stop reading the books. Stop clicking on the, on, uh, on the feed and, and reading all that garbage. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Now, this is a proverb from 2,000 years ago. It means one of the serious things about evil and error is they both spread. I have a picture of a little yeast going into some flour. All right, now, ladies, I like to cook, but I don't bake. So I could be making some terrible mistakes here in this analogy. So just correct me afterwards, okay? <laughs> or men. Men are pretty good bakers, too, but not me. Okay. This is the amount of yeast that's going to go in this, all of this. All right? And then you're going to add some stuff, probably a little warm water, maybe a little sugar, right? A little salt. And then you're going to cover it, right? And it just makes a little lump. And then next, next picture. This is when you first get it out, right? And you make a couple loaves, and then you cover it out. I don't think the effect is all that dramatic by the graphic here, but it does grow quite bigger and larger. Why? Because the yeast is working and getting into the whole thing. It started like this, just like 
the little sin, the little bad attitude, the little book, the little comment, my little one friend who's filling my head with all of these lies. And what happens, the Bible says, is it starts out contained and then given the warmth and the heat and a little sugar and just let it sit in a warm place. (laughs) There it goes. It spreads to everything. So he says, knock it off. Get away from it. Stop putting it in your life. Just a little pitch, just a little pitch. A little pitch is going to kill you. Eventually, it's going to get to you. A little pinch of arsenic. A little poisonous pinch of what? Come on. We can go back to the verses now. Thank you. So this is what he's saying here. Be careful because you can shipwreck your whole uh, faith by the devil's lie of it's just a pitch, just a pitch. It's not, not anything to worry about. Okay, verse 10 has a little sunshine there. He says, I'm confident, and notice in verse 10 what he's confident in. Is he, is he confident in them? He's confident in the Lord. He thinks they're in the Lord. There are some of them, probably most of them, who are Christians, and they're in the Lord. So he's confident in the Lord, not left to their own devices. When I pray for somebody, I have hope, not because of anything in them, but in the Lord, because of God's love, his mercy, he's able, you know, he says, I'm confident in the Lord, two things. Number one, that you guys are going to see the light, and number two, that the guys, guy here can be plural, Whoever it is that's throwing you into confusion is going to pay the penalty because God's a protective father and he doesn't stand idly by it. It's a dreadful thing, by the way, to fall into the hands of the living God. And so verse 11, he says, uh, verse 11, you won't understand unless you understand that they're, they're the false teachers are saying that Paul himself endorses circumcision. So Paul says in verse 11, excuse me, if this were true, if I were preaching circumcision and I would would be agreeing with them, why are they still calling me the bad guy? Why are they persecuting me? Why, Why do these men persecute me if I'm preaching what they're preaching? So they're lying. They're saying even the apostle Paul, he preaches it too. He says, no, does that make any sense? I'm the bad guy in the story. So he says, and he goes on to say, if I were teaching that you, don't, that, you, that, you, that you don't need the cross and that all you need to do is be circumcised, then I would take away the offense that the cross causes because I'm saying, just be a good Jew. You don't need the cross. And the offense is taken away and they would love me. But they don't love me. They hate me. Because why? I say the cross is what you need and nothing you do, no Shabbat keeping, no kosher keeping, no circumcision, nothing. It's all null and void. The offense of the cross is this. You bring nothing to the table but your messed up life. Your duplicious heart, your, 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 your deceitful ways. We bring nothing to the table. This is the offense of the cross. You can do nothing. The only thing you could do is make things worse. That's what he says. That's the offense of the cross. So he says, if I were preaching, just be a good little boy. Sign up to become Jewish like they're saying I'm saying. Then there would be no offense and they'd be happy with me. That's the point of the verses there. 
And then he does go on and makes an interesting comment in verse 12, doesn't he? He says, and for these agitators, he says, they're so obsessed with this practice, I wish they would practice on themselves, and whoops, go all the way. Let's go, 13 through 15. Moving along, thank you. <laughs> you don't want to end there on the night, probably. I think, listen, yeah, only the Apostle Paul can get away with talking like that, you know? So if you think you're going to cop an attitude and say, look what the Apostle Paul said, you know, I don't think so. That's risky, all right? I think we should just kind of uh, keep to the answer everybody with kindness, <laughs> right? And then, yeah, moving on. Verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Hmm, we've heard this somewhere before. But don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. That would show that you're not even saved. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law, all of you interested in becoming Jews, the entire Old Testament law summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. This is where we land tonight. And you might be wondering, where did the biting and devouring come? Well, that doesn't make sense to you, but it will. So we've got falling from grace, running the race, and a need for an about face. What else do I do all day? I think of little clever ways to remember the three points. All right. So verse 13, liberty is not a license. You're free from sin, not free to sin. And here's the deal with the freedom that comes from the Holy Spirit. You're made new. So we come out from under the law, but we're new creations in Christ with a different disposition that now likes the law, likes goodness. We want to do the right thing. And for the first time in our lives, we are actually capable because we have the power of Christ. So to say we're out from under the law doesn't mean the law was a bad thing and phew, we don't need to be good anymore. Now we're good as a result of having obtained salvation, not in an effort to obtain it, right? So this is a very big, important part here. And so he says, repeats the mantra here in verse 13, called to be free uh, from the do this or die mentality, the power of sin that dogs us from every move, the sense of guilt that gnaws at our soul. We're called to be free from the fear of judgment that haunts us all the time. Uh, one writer said, listen, you're, no, no man is free who still has a guilty conscience. And no man is free if you can't tell yourself no. That's why Jesus said, everybody who sins is a slave to sin. If your body is telling you, do that, and you're like, oh, I shouldn't do that, do that, and you do it, who's in charge? You're a slave to your sinful nature, barks out the orders, and you say, yes, sir, I'll do it. You know, even though it'll cost you, it may cost you a fine, it may cost you jail time, it may cost you your marriage, but who's in charge? The sinful nature, he says, oh, no, you've been set free from that. Not so that you'd have a license to do it, but that you'd have freedom to not do it. Now, I like what he says here. He says, 
the, the purest evidence that you have had a genuine Christian conversion is a move away from self-centered living, self-gratification. He says, so when Christ sets you free, you go from self-gratifying to pleasing God and his people. You see, this is what you're set free for, to stop always me, myself, and I, me, myself, and I. What do I want? What's best for me? He says, when Christ comes in, you're set free from all of that. And now it's about the guy sitting next to you. Now it's about your wife. It's about your kids. Now it's about your boss. What does your boss want? How is a representative of Christ you're going to serve? Because Christ said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve to give myself away. And those who follow me and have my spirit in their hearts live the same way for other people not to be served. I'm not getting my needs met. That is not the cry of a mature Christian. That's a cry of a broken, immature person. Yes, we all have needs. And yes, it's sad when they're not getting met. But Jesus didn't sit around going, what about me? He really didn't. And he said, neither should we. That love in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit is concerned with others in the room that we consider others more important than ourselves. Everybody in the room, we should be looking up at as we humble ourselves. And he says, boy, if you do that, you're going to be blessed. Your community, your family, your marriage, everything will be blessed as you take your proper role as serving God and serving others. This is what he's saying. We're free. We're free to do that, not to indulge in the sinful nature. Now, why does he say this call to see? You guys better stop picking at each other and, and devouring each other because you're going to end up destroyed. Well, a life that is lived as a religious, legal bunch of rules now they're arguing with each other. So half of the congregation's keeping Shabbat. And the uh, so 20 of the guys went off and called uh, Moyel. A Moyel is M-O-H-E-L, a rabbi that does circumcision. So 20 of the guys said, hey, we're going to the Moyel. And the other 20 of the guys said, you don't need to. The apostle Paul said it doesn't count for anything. So now they're devouring each other. You're eating that? Paul said that Jesus said all foods are clean. And the other ones were saying, oh, no, we got to keep a kosher table because now we're the, the, the Israel, where we belong to Israel now. We're keeping the law. So a religion that's based on rules is just dead. And it's no wonder to me that those who were the most rule-keeping people on the planet killed Jesus. They were rule keepers. Rules, 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 rules. So the rule keepers in Galatia were looking down their noses, criticizing, and causing a lot of division. And he says, listen, you guys keep that up. What's going to be left? If you keep wounding and wounding and wounding in a marriage, in a family, at work, all there is is all day long. Biting, biting, biting. What's left? He says, what's left? You're going to devour one another. You're going to have a house divided against itself. Jesus' words will not stand. 
So take heed. If you take a little bite here and a little bite here, it's okay. No, you're going to end up destroying one another. And it's something that, that Satan loves most is to get Christians to divide and to bite and to, to do the work for him. Amen. Amen. And so we finish up here. He says, let me tell you, uh, want to be Old Testament law keepers, the shortcut. Uh, we, we were here with Romans because he tells the Romans the same thing who, who are interested in keeping the law. He said, the entire law summed up in one sentence, love God and love others, right? Because if you love others, you're not going to be breaking any of the laws. Thou shalt not kill, murder it should be. Thou shalt not covet somebody's wife or what it belongs to him. Well, if you love, God's love, you're not doing any of that stuff. You're not taking what doesn't belong to you. That's not loving. You're not lying because that's not loving. So he's saying, really, if you biblically, truly love, you will, in essence, all things being equal, you will end up fulfilling the law, at least the horizontal ones for sure. And so he's saying... Uh, that's something to consider. Do you want to keep the law? Listen, God's love, you are keeping the law, so no worries there. Uh, so wrapping up, the three things to think about. So he's going to say, really, no more falling from grace. Get back to running the race and make an abrupt about face. And it's not too late. Leave the law, leave the rules and regulations and walk with the Lord in love and in faith. And you'll fulfill the law and all of this. Stop devouring one another and get back to being devoted to one another in love. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for <laughs> the truth that sets our hearts free. And God, we get so wrapped up and tangled and ensnared so easily. And we are prone to wander as we sang tonight. Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love and do it our way. <laughs> but help us, save us, Lord, from ourselves. Save us from our own wicked hearts and our own self-centered thinking. Let us repent even tonight of the things that have brought enslavement instead of freedom not only in our lives, but to the ones around us. Help us, God, to just simply trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 